I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, July 8th, 2011. It's like one of those days where you look at the pile and the weird direction that things are going in the church, and you just want to throw in the towel and say, I I don't know what to do with this anymore. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebrew, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. To say that there is a, a rash, uh, a wave, um, uh, a plague, um, a tsunami of uh, just crazy things being said about God would be, well, an understatement. And uh, we chronicle a lot of it here. And uh, I, like I said at the opening of the program, as I was preparing for today's program, I'm looking at the pile and going, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't get through this. How? How? Where do I begin? What do I say to this? How? How do we? Anyway. So you know, if you're familiar with the program, those of you who've been listening for a while, you know that we do discernment work here. That we compare the crazy things being said out there in the name of God, and we compare them to the Bible. We do sober discernment work, and we try to do it long form, and um, and that means we try to listen to things in. In full context, or when we're reviewing a sermon, we review the whole sermon. Um, and uh, it's anyway, you get what I'm saying as far as that's concerned. Well, you know, as I'm preparing for today's program, it's not that there is a shortage of things to talk about, it's that there's a lot of things that I could be discussing. And, uh, you know, I try to have a little bit of fun along the way. And some of the stuff I just it, it, as I was preparing for the program today, one of the things that struck me is is that how is it that the church has gotten into this state? How is it that we have gotten to the point where we're this far from the truth uh, in so many sectors of the visible church? Now, uh, a lot of theologians uh, make the difference, bet- the distinction between the visible church and the invisible church. The, the idea is this: is that 
when you show up to church, when you uh, show up to uh, your congregation on any given Sunday, um, you know, like in my particular case, I attend a, a fairly um, it's not small, but it's not it's like a medium sized congregation. So there's, you know, you know, three to four hundred people in the sanctuary on any given Sunday. And so when everybody shows up, that the, the church is visible right there. It, it, it kind of comes out of the world and boom, it's it's there it, it, at our in, our in our congregation for a few hours and then everybody disperses. Now, it, here's the deal of the v- people I can physically see. Um, uh, because uh, the scriptures make it clear through the teachings of Jesus that there are tares in among the wheat, um, I, I can't know with any degree of specificity or certainty whether or not everybody in the congregation that's visibly present actually truly has faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, has been regenerated. So when we talk about the visible church versus the invisible church, it, it, it the idea of the invisible church it leaves leeway for the fact that there there may be false believers, there may be heretics, there may be unregenerate folk uh, who uh, who really are not Christians who are going through the motions. I mean, this it makes room for all of that. So, um, you know, the the number of people who show up on any given Sunday uh, may or may not accurately reflect uh, those people who have truly been brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins and trust and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. So anyway, so that, I, I just want to make that clear. So when I when you, when you hear me talk about visible versus invisible church, you understand what I'm saying. So invisible Christianity, uh, this would be all of visible Christendom. This includes Roman Catholicism, uh, you know, Pentecostal churches, uh, Lutheranism, Presbyterian, uh, Methodism, uh, e- Evangelical, non-denom, uh, the whole spectrum. There is just a whole lot of crazy stuff going on, and it's it, it, it's it's like it's become the norm. And uh, you know, sound biblical teaching and and biblical orthodoxy s- seems to be becoming more and more of less and less of what I hear going on in the church. And and the thing is, is that I actually look for good sound biblical teaching. <laughs> I need it. And, uh, and so it, it, uh, when I find it, it's like a treasure trove. It's a gold mine. That's one of the reasons why I, uh, you know, I, I, I do, uh, the, the light editions. And, you know, when I find a treasure trove, I like to mine it for everything that's worth so that, uh, not only you, but I can hear the great things that are being said. Anyway, so I'm looking at the pile today, and it's just nuts. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know how to explain it. Anyway, uh, so I guess maybe what we should do is well, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. And um, <clears throat> what we're going to begin uh, today's program by looking at uh, one of the Patricia King gang, uh, Angela Grenig. This we've uh, we've played stuff from Angela in the past here on Fighting for the Faith. And uh, we're going to be listening to audio from a recently posted video entitled, We Are All God's Superheroes. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to have to hear it to uh, get it. And then we'll do something a little bit more sober. I've got a news story out of the Christian out of the Huffington Post that says that uh, the Roman Catholic Church is considering buying the Crystal Cathedral. <laughs> Man, that's interesting. And uh, let's see here. Um, then I've got a story coming out of CNN. Uh, the Real Housewives of the Bible. Apparently somebody's producing a program entitled The Real Housewives of the Bible. Uh, yeah, anyway, um, yeah, so we, we might get to that today. Uh, it's just, 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but I I haven't really watched any episodes that of any of the, like the real Housewives series or things that are on television. But uh, the press that they've been getting, those programs have been getting, is is that they, they're not the best. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> let's uh, let's talk. Continue talking about what we're going to talk about. And then, then I got another Christian post, post story here about a, a scholar who's defending the new NIV Bible amid unfair criticisms. At least that's what the headline reads. And so uh, that that'll kind of round out the first half of the program today. And then we're going to take a turn into the bazaar. And that's the only way I can describe it. We're going to go from that, which is crazy enough, to um, listening to um, Father Richard Rohr discussing the cosmic Christ. And you're going, the what? The who? The who? Who's going to be discussing the what? The, uh, that's right. Richard Rohr, uh, who is a darling in the emergent church. Um, uh, he is a, a Roman Catholic mystic. He recently uh, appeared on the uh, video uh, blog entitled The Catholic Corner, put together by Monsignor Walter Nolan, who is the uh, head priest there at St. Paul's Church in Princeton, New Jersey. And they're discussing, of all things, the cosmic Christ. And now I don't do a lot of Roman Catholicism stuff. From time to time, I do steer into it. And yes, William Tapley technically is a Roman Catholic, although he he's kind of his own brand of Catholic. Um, uh, but Father Richard Rohr is a darling among the emergent church crowd, and he was one of the speakers at the recently concluded Wild Goose Festival. And um, I, I don't know how to describe what it is that you're going to be listening to as we listen to Monsignor Walter Nolan and Father Richard Ward Rohr discuss the cosmic Christ. And the thing that really frightens me is, is that Richard Rohr has gained a lot of popularity in and among emergents and in a growing number of uh, evangelicals who are steering into contemplative monastic mysticism, uh, uh, Richard Rohr being one of the major signposts and major authors in this area, I see a lot of uh, evangelicals uh, who are buying into a lot of this stuff, and this is kind of the logical outcome of where you end up with Roman Catholic mysticism. I mean, it sounds like something out of the New Age movement, the cosmic Christ. I don't think I've ever heard... Um, a somebody who is a confessing Christian discussing uh, the cosmic Christ. I, I don't normally spend a lot of time on the New Age anyway, but this, I mean, this is just out there. And then, you know, to round all that off, I mean, it, it, <laughs> if that wasn't enough, we, uh, we're we going to be uh, going down there to uh, Houston, Texas, down to Lakewood, and we're going to be listening to um, Joel Osteen preaching a sermon on speaking faith into your future. Um, I just, um, <laughs> I, and, uh, and, 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 and why, why Joel Osteen? Cause he's got the biggest church in the United States and there's a bazillion people around the world who really think this guy's teaching biblical Christianity. And, uh, and you just gotta put your hand up and go, excuse me. Um, um, no, uh, Joel Osteen does not represent biblical Christianity, Orthodox Christianity at all. And, um, so, um, this is one of those programs where, um, the, uh, the fighting for the faith warning, I think actually would come in handy. 
And uh, it, it, this is just one of those things where it's it, it's eh. it may not even be funny. It's just it just maybe this is the kind of stuff that you know at the end of it you, you're going to come away feeling the way I do, and the way I feel right now is kind of like somebody punched me in the face, and I'm kind of stunned that that you know every now and then I have these moments where I realize, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> How, how how do we fight this stuff? Because um, well, it's it just doesn't seem to be going away. In fact, it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Anyway, so let me play the warning here, and then we'll dive. Warning: in. Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities: operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. The, that that can mean only one thing, and that means that we're going to be listening to somebody from the Patricia King gang from XP Media. Um, <clears throat> you know, as I was watching this video, my uh, in pre in preparation for today's program, my question is: Why would any responsible Christian put this up as a ministry video on any website that is supposed to be teaching anything to do with Jesus Christ? I just you know, the logical question is probably not the good one to ask. But uh, here is Angela Grenig explaining how we are all God's superheroes. I just need out here. Hi, I'm Angela Grenig, and I am one of God's superheroes, and so are you. For many of you who know me, I am all about Marvel Comics, the X-Men, and it's all about the Justice League. Around 12 years ago, God... <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, um, <clears throat> Angela, um, I, I, I know that probably on the website where this video is posted, this doesn't really mean anything. But the idea here is, is that XP Media is supposedly a, a, a Christian ministry that proclaims the historic Christian faith. Maybe not, but, um, yeah. Uh, that being the case, um, um, you know what. Sh- should be there on that website should be pointing us to Jesus Christ and not ourselves and this whole idea that you're a superhero in the justice league and and that I'm a superhero too um just seems convoluted narcissistic um silly um juvenile uh, yeah, I I'm running out of of adjectives here but I think you get what I'm saying here 
And uh, it, this is one of those days where I'm just suffering from major incredulity and you're not really helping. He really started speaking to me and he said, daughter, I want you to release a justice league. I want you to let my sons and daughters know that just like in the comic books that we grew up with that talked about the superheroes, they took out the villains. He said that I would raise up a justice league of super men, super women that were. You don't make you know uh, I the Justice League actually is a um, you know uh, um, a, a, a cartoon you know with all the different superheroes and so apparently God has told Angela Grenig that she needs to start her own um, Justice League which basically means that what I think probably we should do is play some background music for uh, Angela here as she discusses the Justice League. I would raise up a Justice League of super men, super women that were all for one and one for all, that they guarded one another's backs whenever one of them was in trouble, they were coming to their rescue. See, that is really what the body of Christ is all about, is that we have all these amazing gifts and talents. Like, you know, in, um, in the early 1900s, people did not believe in speaking in tongues. But then we had Azusa Street. In the, in the later um, 1940s, people really weren't too sure about healing, and then came Oral Roberts. But I'm telling you, God is releasing justice, and he is taking out um, darkness through his superheroes. I was just at a conference um, in the last few days in Oceanside with Pastor Joel. He is Superman. He is a superhero of the faith. We had so much fun. And at the very end, I, I gave him his justice league. I said, I want, you, I want you to remember that this is what you are raising up, men and women of God, that will fight for truth and justice. And even You know, I'm hearing words. I it just it, it's unbelievable that this is being put up on a so-called Christian ministry website as if it's some something that God the Holy Spirit has res, has revealed. God the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to become superheroes or to form the Justice League or anything like that. And 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 contrary to what some of you may say, I am not Batman. But um <laughs> and some of you are going just because he denied being Batman. That means you may be Batman. <laughs> the point is this, is that we're called to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. We have a clear, simple, understandable message, and this is just off topic and nuts. Even though they're a little bit different than the next guy or the next woman, look different, act different, talk different, we still all have the same theme, and that is bringing justice back into the land. And so at the very end, we had such a great time because he said, Ange, would you mind if I brought my core in and could you just tell me what you pick up in your spirit if, if you get anything about who they are? And as soon as I started talking to each one of them, some of them started laughing and they had tears in their eyes because one of them really operates. He's like he's like the Green Lantern, but he is peace and fun. <laughs> So you picked up in your spirit that somebody was like the Green Lantern. Honey, but you would never know it by looking at him. I have a friend. She's a big girl, like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, tall. Is she Wonder Woman? Wise. But she's like, bam, in the spirit, you know. She's like, bam, in the spirit. Okay, yeah. So maybe she's Emerald. She's like, it's clobbering time. She's like the rock, you know. And so we had such a fun time. And, and I said, you know, we had such a good time having you here. It was different. Because you know what had happened? Because a Justice League was formed. And not 
<laughs> I, <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I, you know, I think this is one of those days where I, I, I know that in in episodes past of Fighting for the Faith, I have said that we do not have a problem if you enjoy an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Um, may I strongly recommend that for this episode, no drinking. You, you might want to stay dry on this one because this is the kind of stuff that as I'm listening to her uh, you could potentially like overdose on alcohol if you were listening to this person, and I don't want that to happen. So I, I think I have to suspend our, our our standing rule that you know we don't have a problem with alcoholic beverages, uh, adult beverages. Yeah, I, I, I don't be drinking while listening to this episode of Fighting for the Faith. <laughs> Holy smokes! The Justice League was formed, and so I can honestly say this for those of you who really know me, know me. But I'm all about G.I. Joe because he says no in his half the battle. <laughs> She's holding up a G.I. Joe figure. Um, Patricia King will tell you, whenever we do the conferences or if I come down just for a visit, you will find these all throughout the hotels. You'll find them put into the um, bins where we give all the money at the, you know, for the offerings and stuff. Because um, G.I. Joe does say no one's half the battle. When you start to, to, to understand it, like this is one of my favorite guys. Because he has his hand up and he's looking through, he's looking through and he's going, listen, I see what is getting ready to see. I mean, I, how on earth is it possible that anybody on planet earth who has even a, 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 a public school education, they, they, they are required to read and and have at least have some modicum of basic rational thought would ever think that God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who led this woman to go off on this bizarre tangent. He sees what's coming. That's what it is. He sees what's coming. And so I love, um, and, and it's fun. You know, God is so amazing. For so many of you that are out there that we're, we're in, listen, we're in trench warfare. Let's get real. We are in the trenches. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And when you have little things like like a poster about superheroes or giving somebody a G.I. Joe, it just really blesses people. And it's the little things that we do. But I will say this. God really is raising up a new Justice League in the year 2011. And I'm just happy to be a part of it. <laughs> Bless you guys. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> Do you mind if I switch gears to something that actually makes some kind of logical sense so that my brain doesn't explode during this edition of Fighting for the Faith? I think I should do that. Hang on. Okay, from the Christian Post, um, headline reads, Catholics, oh, sorry, Huffington Post, Catholics looking into buying Crystal Cathedral. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> You know, I was I was on uh, issues etc. early this week uh, talking about uh, Robert Schuler being um, well. He, the the story it depends on which news agency you read, but uh, he was ousted as the head of the board of directors for the Crystal Cathedral, and uh, and if you read the L.A. Times news blog, um, his uh, his daughters actually have gotten you know come to the L.A. Times and said, oh no no no, we haven't ousted him. No, 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 no. He's still on the board of directors. And you're going, really? Well, that's not what your brother said. 
Yeah, as well, he just didn't tell you the whole story. The whole story is is that we've put dad, we put pops into a into a new role that we've created on the board of directors, and that new role is board of directors emeritus. And it, so, it sounds so like it sounds like a, a um a, a like he's been promoted. But see that new role, that new role, board of directors emeritus. That's a non-voting role. Yeah, so he dad doesn't get to vote anymore. But but see, he's been put into a brand new role, board of directors emeritus. And he, so anyway, um, it's it's crazy stuff. But uh, from the religious news service, uh, they, they republished at the Huffington Post, Catholics looking into buying the C- Crystal Cathedral. The Crystal Cathedral, which has put its iconic campus up for sale to end a bankruptcy crisis, has an interested party that needs a large cathedral, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange Orange County, California. (laughs) The diocese, the nation's 11th largest, does not have its own cathedral, but has studied the option to build one in nearby Santa Ana, California. While that study is ongoing, it is prudent to evaluate the opportunity to engage in the pending auction of the property and to mitigate the chance that it cease to function as a place of worship if acquired by others, said Orange County Bishop Todd Brown and on Wednesday, July 6th. Mark Winthrop, the lawyer representing the Crystal Cathedral in its bankruptcy case, told the Orange County Register that inquiries from various parties are coming in daily. The diocese would obviously buy the property to use it for themselves, which would be a big impediment as far as the Crystal Cathedral is concerned, he told the newspaper. Yeah, because the Crystal Cathedral, the the, the idea here is, is that they want to sell their property to a developer who will give them the option to buy it back or to lease back the property so they can continue to use it uh, as you know for as the Crystal Cathedral, and uh, well, if uh, the Roman Catholic Diocese uh, of Orange County, California, ended up buying the Crystal Cathedral, which I'm sure they would love that idea. I mean, a ready-made cathedral just for them, complete with a with a pipe organ. I wonder if uh, Robert Schuler will leave his. Uh, his professorial vestments uh, behind. Anyway, uh, so uh, yeah, if the um, if the uh, um, Crystal Cathedral uh, if property ends up going into auction, you know, as a result of the uh, the bankruptcy, well, that's a completely different story as well. So there you go. Um, it makes me wonder if you know, you know, you know, twenty five, thirty years down the road, when uh, Saddleback Church experiences its big bankruptcy. Uh, whether or not the uh, Roman Catholic diocese will want to um, purchase the uh, Saddleback campus. It just, you know, it's just a question that comes up from time to time in my head. Anyway, moving along, um, the from the CNN Belief blog, um, Evangelist Produces Real Housewives of the Bible DVD. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, let me just read the story and... See if I can grit my way through it. Uh, there's a new set of housewives on the block. These women aren't whining about fashion faux pas and socialite misgivings. Their stories are, are cast somewhere between the books of Genesis and Revelation. Ty Adams, a web-based evangelist and author, is producing The Real Housewives of the Bible, a two-part DVD series that tracks six women uh, dealing with the ups and downs of marriage as they strive to be good wives. 
Adams said that the outrageous outrageous reality show like Bravo's the Re- the Real Housewives series and VH1's Basketball Wives inspired her to create a more wholesome version of the franchise. Quote, I was frustrated with what I was seeing, she said. A lot of societies looking towards programming to educate them on relationships, and these shows haven't effectively done that. Well, yeah, I think they show us uh, about relationships by giving us a bad example, don't you think? Anyway, uh, they have ruined and tainted our ability to secure good relationships and to make women into good wives, said Adams, who is based in Detroit. Adams has provided Christian relationship advice for nearly 10 years since she founded a, a production company called Heaven Enterprises in 2002. She's the author of Single, Saved, and Having Sex, has produced religious DVDs and plays and offers uh, sex and relationship advice through a web-based column called Ask Ty. Adams said the goal of her Real Housewives DVD due out later this month is helping women juxtapose real-life issues with Christian teaching. She says that teaching includes women's obligation to attempt to sustain relationships that have endured extramarital affairs and other hardships. Because we live in a media-driven society, telling these age-old stories of adultery, loneliness, longing through the relation uh, entertainment helps women relate, Adams said. So... There we go. And another Christian knockoff. Yay! I was I was so looking forward to the latest and greatest Christian knockoff and now here it is, the real housewives of the Bible. <sighs> yeah, just what we don't need. Okay, moving to something a little bit saner, but I think it's kind of interesting. Also, uh, from the Christian Post, the headline reads, "Scholar defends new NIV Bible amid unfair criticisms." Unfair. Okay. Uh, by the way, um, did you all know that the uh, a- along with uh, the um, condemnation of uh, Rob Bell's uh, position on hell, uh, the recently concluded Southern Baptist uh, Convention uh, convention um, that they um, they took a shot at the at the brand new NIV. It's true. It, it's it's absolutely true. Makes you wonder if uh, you know in the future we'll you know because they have the KJV only uh, Baptists out there. Uh, they're they're kind of in the independent fundamentalist Baptist group. It makes you wonder if you know a hundred years from now we'll be having ni you know original NIV only Baptists. <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. I don't think that's really what's going to happen. But anyway, I just had to take a shot at the KJV only folks. Anyway, uh, the story reads: Amid ongoing criticism directed toward the new NIV Bible, one professor has come out publicly in defense of the updated translation, saying. Uh, Critics are investing too much in the gender-neutral issue. Quote, they don't like the idea of gender-neutral translations as a whole. If if someone announced that's what they're doing, then it's automatically read as being a capitulation to the culture, Dr. Daryl Bach, research professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, told the Christian Post. Now, let me just stop right there. I, I have to take issue with something that Dr. Daryl Bach said, okay? Um do, do and let me, let me put it this way. Um is somebody who automatically takes issue with a translation that attempts to be gender neutral are they just being stupid? Are they overreacting? Are they being unbiblical? Are they being too critical? I thought the idea behind translating from Greek and Hebrew into English was fidelity to God's word. Now, as somebody who reads the biblical languages, 
Um, I am, I'm not one who is a fan of uh, gender-neutral Bibles, like, at all. Why? Because they're not faithful to the biblical text that is, was, you know, in its original manuscripts, in the original languages that these, uh, that, that God's Word was uh, recorded for us in. So I don't think that it is, um, it is, an overreaction on the part of Christians to say, no, 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 this gender neutrality stuff, this is, we, this is what's driving that is culture. And we as the Christian church need to resist that because God has revealed his word and that's already been revealed. And it is what it is. And it uses the pronouns that it uses already. And we need to be faithful to the text that God has revealed. I, I think that's probably a better thing to do here. But anyways, he says, A million copies of the updated NIV were printed and released in stores in March in its first revision to the popular NIV in 25 years. By the way, um, I've said this before. I'll just make the point again. I stopped using the NIV uh, you know, what, five years ago. And uh, I, I got to tell you, after I learned how to read uh, Greek and Hebrew... It was frustrating to teach from the NIV, not because of gender issues, but because the NIV translation, there's some stuff there that it, it's not a good, they're, they're, they, they don't really do the best job of translating in some parts of it. And as a result of it, uh, when the ESV came along, I you know, test drove it and found that it was much more faithful to the, uh, to the original languages than uh, the NIV, and I didn't have that... Uh, that constant urge to correct the translation when I teach from it. So I, yeah, that's just, that was me, but it, it had nothing to do with, you know, with gender neutrality because the, you know, the original NIV didn't have that problem. Anyway, uh, ever since the new text was made available online last year, the updated translation has not received the most positive reviews. I wonder why. Along with criticism from the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which found uh, 2,766 gender-related inaccuracies. The Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the country, most recently rejected the new NIV. Quote, this translation alters the meaning of hundreds of verses, most uh, significantly by erasing gender-specific details which appear in the original language, states a resolution passed by the Southern Baptists in June, and to which I would say, here, here, they're right. Expressing a profound disappointment in the inaccurate translation of God's inspired scripture, Southern Baptists said they cannot commend the 2011 NIV to the Christian community and requested that its LifeWay bookstores not carry the translation. Bach acknowledged that the updated translation may not be perfect. No one's... Perfection's not the claim there, Dr. Bach. Um, and that it does contain a few problem passages. I think they, the Southern Baptist said 2,766. Uh, so that's just a few. Okay. Um, I don't think that having a problem with one passage is reason for condemning a translation. Yeah, again, 2,766 gender-related inaccuracies. I mean, what was driving that? Could uh, I mean... It wasn't biblical fidelity that was driving that. It wasn't translational accuracy that was driving that. It was something completely different. 2,766 gender-related inaccuracies. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, you, you just... Dr. Bach's uh, arguments don't really seem to hold up to scrutiny. Anyway, the Dallas scholar also rejected claims that the Committee on Bible Translation, the independent body of global biblical scholars responsible for the new translation, had an agenda, particularly a feminist one, as some have contended. I, I don't know if it's feminist, but I would say that it, you know, that they didn't want to 
didn't they didn't want to catch the heat from the bigger culture out there. So rather than you know, it, here's the deal: when you, when you're translating, if you're gonna be if you're gonna be shaving off some of the edges of the Bible. You're doing it to make one group or another happy, and when you make that group happy, you upset the other group, which doesn't make any sense to me. So, I mean, let let me just think through the logic here. Okay, well, um, we've got this passage here that uses the word he for God. Um, Yeah, Um, well, um, if we translate it he and it's talking about God, then... Then there's people out in the greater culture uh, who, uh, because of the the sexual mores and stuff like that in the general culture, they're going to be offended uh, you know, as for as uh, about God being re- uh, revealed here and discussed as in using masculine pronouns. So so let's just uh, uh, find a way to kind of shave that off and make God more neutral, right? You know, gender neutral, and uh, and so da da they do that now. So what they did is they made a conscious decision and from pressure from the culture to shave off the uh, the gender-specific details regarding God in that passage. Well, um, that's great, um, but the the general culture, the, the people outside in the world, they're not the ones buying Bibles. Um, it's Christians, and, um, and it's not the Christians who could care less about the Bible who are buying Bibles. It's the people who actually care about reading it and studying it and understanding it that care about it. So if you're gonna if you're gonna upset one group uh, in order to make another group happy, why would you upset Christians in order to make non-Christian feminists or people who are influenced by the culture happy about your Bible when they're not the ones buying it? it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, enough of that. I just yeah, it's one of those things that's just logic seems to defy people here. Okay, we are up on our first break, and uh, when we come back, I, I'm telling you, pin, t- uh, pin, tinfoil pyramid hat, uh, we're, you're going to need it. Uh, we're going to be listening to Richard Rohr discussing the cosmic Christ. I am not making this up, and Richard Rohr is growing in popularity by leaps and bounds within uh, the emergent circles as well as many evangelical circles as a result of the watered-down mysticism that's being taught uh, in a lot of seeker-driven churches. So uh, this this little Catholic conversation actually has implications for uh, evangelical Protestants. So uh, you're going to want to listen in. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on uh, Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. And now presenting for your listening pleasure, Majestic Mystery by Brian McLaren, read by Reginald Bumper Scatter. Oh, Majestic 
Mystery. Oh, mysterious majesty. My small hand can never grasp you. I can only hold it open. I don't like this oh, at all. Majestic <laughs> mystery. I, I think I'm going to be sick. Oh, mysterious. He's saying words, but I'm not even sure it's English. Ah, my appendix just turned inside out. Someone help that poor man and call the paramedics. What's all this then? That poor man appendix is just turned inside out. Well, that doesn't sound good. It's not every day that people appendixes do that. What was he doing? Listening to the emergent poet on stage. He didn't tell me there was emergent poetry being read. Right. Everybody evacuate the building immediately. Here come the Navy SEALs. What seems to be the trouble? Somebody in that building is reading emergent poetry. Have you set up a soundproof perimeter? No, I haven't had time. Oh, we can't help you then. What do you mean you can't help us? Too dangerous. Too dangerous? Don't get cheeky with me. You've seen but a small taste of emergent poetry's destructive power. It only gets worse with each passing stanza. Game over, dude. Game over. Quick, get that man into quarantine. His soul's been sucked out from his nostrils. Isn't that? Anything you can do to help that poor man? Afraid not. The only answer we have now is to nuke the site from orbit. You won't it open. It's open to you, fantastic mystery. Search the area and make sure no one's hiding in the refrigerator. We can't have any survivors. It's been nice serving with you, Chief. Likewise. Can't believe the world's come to this. Chris Roseboro here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says, Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Join our crew today 
and thank you for your support. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith uh, could cause Dame Bramage. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty convinced of it. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. <laughs> That's right, yeah. We need your help, and we actually need you to pay for the privilege of listening to Fighting for the Faith <laughs> so that you could experience Dame Bramage. Anyway, um, yeah, the way you support us, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And uh, we got about 130 more folks that we need to add to our crew to guarantee that we're able to uh, make budget month after month after month after month, which is kind of important because we need to make budget so that we can pay our bills because our bills don't go away, even during the lean summer months. Of course, if you would like to uh, make a one-time contribution or specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. That's right, the emergent postmodern uh, Philharmonic Orchestra. Can mean only one. <laughs> That's so awful. It's <laughs> just awful. That can mean only one thing. Uh, we're going to be doing an emergent church update uh, via the Catholic Church of all places. Um, if you're familiar with the ministry of Richard Rohr, uh, if we can call it a ministry, um, well, Richard Rohr is the guy who's taught the uh, the emergent church uh, how to embrace mysticism, and um, well. Uh, he's well-liked by uh, guys like uh, Tony Jones, Doug Paget, Brian McLaren in particular. Uh, guys like that uh, really are out there telling us that we need more of Richard Rohr. And uh, he he was one of these speakers at the uh, 2011 Wild Goose Festival that recently concluded. And, uh, and so I thought um, <clears throat> I got this tip via a listener uh, in the email who said that I needed to check this out. And... Uh, <laughs> Okay, tinfoil pyramid hat. You're going to need it. Anyway, this is an interview with Monsignor Walter Nolan of the of St. Paul's Church in Princeton, New Jersey, and Richard Rohr, and they are going to be discussing the cosmic Christ. I, it, rather than talk about it, let's just let them do it. Here we go. Hi, welcome to the Catholic Corner. I'm Monsignor Walter Nolan. We're on location here at St. Paul's Catholic Church in Princeton, New Jersey. And if you followed us a little bit, uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful interview with Father Richard Raw. And we're going to continue that conversation because he's such a beautiful man of God and a great man of faith and spirituality and a man that he's touched so, so many lives that he probably couldn't count them all. And he's uh, too humble anyway to go count them all. But uh, <laughs> but Father Father Richard is a... Uh, is a uh, 
great speaker and a, a man of, of, as I said, his, his love and faith. He's a Franciscan priest of the New Mexico province. Uh, and he actually right now heads up a uh, Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, does wonderful, wonderful work. He's written Center for Action and Contemplation. Yeah, Richard Rohr is one of the guys who's teaching evangelicals how to uh, do contemplative prayer, uh, Franciscan style, that would be. Uh, let's continue. Wonderful, wonderful work. He's written, as I mentioned uh, the last time, many, many books and uh, gives talks and CDs, DVDs. The last time we spoke about male spirituality, I happened to uh, listen to Father Rohr give a presentation on the cosmic Christ. And that's always been an interest of mine and to see how this, this, this Christ of ours, this Christmas of ours really can touch our lives. So I had asked him if he would share some of his thoughts and he was willing to, to do that. Father Richard, thanks again for being with us and giving us your time. I know you're such Thanks. a very, very busy happy, man. Happy to be here. The Cosmic Christ, that's, that's a, a, it's, 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 a, it's a great understanding, I think. If only we could only grasp it fully yeah. and maybe... Yeah, if only if it was taught in the Bible. The Cosmic Christ. <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? Maybe we never will. <laughs> but, um, uh, but it really is the, the, the Christ, I guess, uh, beyond... I guess I'd say beyond Christianity. The Christ beyond Christianity. Are, is, are any of you getting queasy with these categories here? You should be. Tinfoil pyramid hat will help. I'm telling you, you don't want to experience Dame Bramage. And we, we know how Paul writes so well, and, and in Colossians, uh, that uh, in the end there is only the Christ uh, in everything, and that with grace from the beginning until now, everything is groaning in the act of giving birth. You know, there are so many beautiful expressions out of Paul and John and, mm -hmm. and to understand. But I, I don't know. And help me now and help us. I don't know if, uh, if, if that's even a concept that lots of people have or, or do we ever even begin to understand it? Now, before he answers the question, um, if this was a clear biblical teaching and was part of Orthodox Christology, don't you think that, um, that the ancient church fathers, that the Bible... Um, you know, that our confessions and creeds would talk about the cosmic Christ. Um, they don't. And uh, the person who says that they do, well, uh, they're not correctly handling, first of all, the Bible, and second, uh, what they're doing with the early church fathers, well, that wouldn't be quite accurate either. Um, I mean, here's the deal. If the Bible taught the, quote, cosmic Christ, then it would teach it clearly and Christians would believe it. It wouldn't be a mysterious and beautiful uh, doctrine, the way he, uh, Monsignor there, put it there. Uh, it, would, it wouldn't be mysterious at all. We'd all already believe, teach, and confess it. But, uh, you know, the fact that n hardly anybody believes, teaches, and confesses it should tell you something here. And uh, Roman Catholic Orthodoxy has not embraced the, quote, cosmic Christ. So it makes me wonder um, what's going on there in the Roman Catholic Church that these, these two guys are having a conversation like this that impacts Christology itself and, uh, and our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. At the very, and you know, what, uh, and um, it makes me wonder why aren't they doing something about this? But let's continue. A little bit. You know, let me try to lay the foundation in this way, that in the first 2,000 years, uh, largely we fell in love with Jesus, and we're grateful for that. Sure. We met Jesus. But in fact, we believe in Jesus Christ, 
Now, this will be a new way of thinking. Now, I got to point something out here. Um, <clears throat> have I mentioned the fact that I uh, read the biblical languages? It's true. I've been, you know, I have a degree in biblical languages. Um, Jesus Christos. Yeah, if you know, to use the Greek here, uh, Christos means the anointed one. It's the it's the Hebrew you know, it's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word mas, uh, Mashiach, and um, it, the idea here is is that Jesus is is God's anointed one. It's real simple, you know. Jesus, where was Jesus anointed? Hmm. I would say uh, there in the in the waters of the Jordan River. That would be you know similar to the anointing. That uh, King David uh, went through when he was anointed to be king of Israel. Jesus is the anointed one, and so we talk about Jesus the Christ. It means that Jesus is the anointed one. It, that's what it's referring to. But this is weird stuff that that these two are talking about here, because uh, when we when we talk about who Jesus is and what the scriptures reveal about him, and we'll get into some of these passages here in a minute. Um, Jesus is God the Son, second person of the Holy Trinity, the one true God. Here he's talking about Jesus, you know, you know, as in in using kind of smuggling and hijacking the term Christ and twisting it into something else that's kind of New Ageish and mystical. But let's continue. But Jesus and Christ uh, came together in the one person of Jesus. But we make t- okay. Got to back this up because that's just flat out heresy. Listen again. Here we go. Christ. Now this will be a new way of thinking, but. Jesus and Christ uh, came together in the one person of Jesus, but we may... Jesus and Christ came together? Really? you have any verses that say anything like that? Two different affirmations. Jesus has existed for 2,000 years. The Christ, and this is very clear, I know if I say it without quoting scriptures, people are going to think I'm making this up. Yeah, let's hear you actually quote the scriptures. Now watch what he does here. He doesn't quote anything. He just cites them. Watch this. The prologue to John's gospel, the hymn at the beginning of Colossians, the hymn at the beginning of Ephesians, the first chapter of John's first letter. They can check it out, all right? They all say without any... You know, hesitation. The Christ existed from all eternity. Now, let's spend a little bit of time in some of those passages. If you have your Bible, you're going to need it. Let's go to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, real quick, from John chapter 1, verse 1, who was the Word? The Word was God. 
doesn't say anything here about Jesus and the Christ becoming one. It says that God, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's verse 14. It doesn't say that Jesus and the Christ came together. It doesn't say that at all. Weird. Hmm. Well, let's check out Colossians. Let's check. Uh, he mentioned the, the opening portion of the book of Colossians. And uh, so um, let's let's start at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Now, he's referencing what he calls what the opening hymn here in, in the book of Colossians. So that's why we're starting in verse 9. And we're going to read for a little bit here. And so from the day that we heard that we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge and with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He, this is talking about Jesus now, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all, th- all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, um, yeah, I got a problem here. Um, I'm not seeing anything here in the book of Colossians or the opening portion of the book of Colossians that talks about Jesus and the Christ coming together. Hmm, maybe if um if I read a little bit farther, let's see here. Um we'll fast forward to Colossians chapter two, verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands." This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything in Colossians chapter 2 about Jesus and the Christ coming together. Maybe I'm just missing something here. Anyway, um, if you want to check out Ephesians and 1 John, again, neither one of those texts 
either make you know say what Richard Rohr says that they say. What they are, what those texts do reveal is that Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, is God in human flesh. That he is the eternal second son of the Holy, uh, the, the eternal second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God in human flesh. This is what the, these texts say. It doesn't say that Jesus and the Christ came together. It doesn't say that at all. All right. And and we just were never taught to think that way, that Christ is not Jesus' last name, all right? Jesus became the Christ. So this, of course, gives us our foundation for interfaith dialogue, for the understanding that God has been... Now, notice, listen to what he's saying. This gives us our foundation for interfaith dialogue. Sounds like universalism. And if it does sound like universalism, it should, because this really is where Richard Rohr goes been working in all of history since the beginning of time. To put it very concretely, the Christ is born the moment God decides to show himself, the moment God decides to materialize. Now, modern... So when did God decide to materialize? When did the Christ show himself? Science would call that the Big Bang. So God, the, the Christ, decided to reveal himself at the Big Bang. That's when he materialized. So the material world is a physical manifestation of the Christ? Big Bang is the birth of the Christ, 14.5 billion years ago. And this... You got any uh, verses that say that, Richard? A single one? Material manifestation has been revealing the glory of God, the nature of God, for at least 14.5 billion years. That's the cosmic Christ. So in a moment of time, this cosmic Christ is revealed for us in a human person that we could see and touch and hear and listen to and fall in love with. But in the first 2,000 years, most of the work except for the mystics who largely got this. You know, mainline Christianity, Catholic and Protestant, has largely been concerned about Jesus the historical person, which is good. But what- Yeah, that's good, but you know, the mystics understood far better. Yeah, and Jesus the historical person, that kind of misses the whole point, apparently. Um, what we really need is the cosmic Christ. What we missed out on was the cosmic Christ, which would have given us a much more uh, immense understanding of salvation. Uh, how, much, how about a much more heretical, non-biblical sense of salvation? Because um, no, uh, there isn't a single Bible passage that says that God decided to materialize himself uh, something billion years ago in the Big Bang. You, you ain't got any passages on that one. And I don't think you have any uh, papal bulls or edicts either that say anything of the sort of how God is revealing and loving through everything that is, through creation. And salvation isn't just a human concept, it's a historical concept. It's a global concept. God is liberating and loving through everything that God created. Could that be because for so long a time we've looked at creation, even biblically, I think I can say, that it was whatever you want to say, seven days, and maybe it happened 
Five thousand years before Christ. Yeah. See the see the problem was is that all along people you know Christians both in the Roman Catholic Church and in uh, Protestantism they saw that it says that God created the world in six days and they took it literally. See, and now we know that it took place over billions of years. So this reveals to us the new cosmic nature of the Christ thing. Oh boy. Let's say seven days, and maybe it happened. Right. 5,000 years before Christ was born, Jesus was born, and, and not to see this, this billions of years that, oh. that, that we're understanding now to, uh, to a much greater degree. I don't know if that had anything to do with our, our not going all the way back into that understanding of the cosmic Christ. Yeah, of course, if we would have even read the seven days of creation, we see that each day is another one of the parts of creation. It's not just God creating human beings. And we thought we were the only creation of God that God took seriously. Well, as you know, I'm a Franciscan. My father, St. Francis, called the creatures brother and sister, even the elements, uh, you know, the wind and the fire and the brother, sun, sister, moon. All of it deserved a, a subjective name, brother, sister, almost a, a character of equality to it. Because the height of Christian seeing is to see God in everything. And when you don't see God in everything, you end up seeing God in nothing. And that This sounds like pantheism to me, rather than God being omnipresent. It's getting real creepy here. That's been our problem. We can't even see God in, in people who are not Christians, or even people who are not our denomination. Or, which isn't very... So we can't see God in somebody who is a flagrant pagan who who has you know continues to persist in sin and unbelief. Why should I think that God is inside of them? Hmm? In what sense is God inside of them? What, what are you talking about? Good seeing. It, it means that we're not going to get very far. Well, then I guess uh, <laughs> you separate nature and... What word are you? Supernature? But, yeah. but, you know, if, if, as, you, as you're talking, when I listen to your talk at that presentation that I happen to be at, to, to realize more and more that, you know, it's all supernatural, so to right. speak. Yeah. There's yeah. no such thing as merely natural. <laughs> That's the meaning of the incarnation, yeah. that the physical world is, yes, the hiding place of God, but the revelation place of God. It's only hidden for those who don't know how to see. Oh, but he knows how to see because he's a mystic. So there is nothing natural for those who've learned how to see. Everything is supernatural. But everything. Could, can yeah. we take from that, you know, as, as you said, that in a period of time, the revelation of, of, of a Christness in, in, in the humanness of Jesus, can we take from that then, if we, if we understand that and apply it to ourselves, all of the, I don't know what to say, thousands of, of uh, uh, incarnations of our own lives, in other words, the, the thousands of incarnations of our own lives? What on earth is this Catholic priest talking about? The, the growth, the forgiveness, the kindness, the hugs, the kisses that are all now little, little mirror images of the incarnation, which is the mirror image of mm. the cosmic Christ. You know what I'm trying to feel? That's lovely. You know? Whenever we're moving toward connection, communion, this uh, this uh, one author calls it cosmic allurement, that everything... Yeah, what does the Bible call it? Um, do, can you show me any of the passages that talk about cosmic allurement in the Bible? Thing in creation 
admires it, itself in in the mirrors that are all around it. And so you're absolutely right. Whenever you allow that allurement to happen and, and you build bonds and bridges instead of boundaries, you are furthering the second coming of Christ. You are building. Man, this is whack. Building up the body of Christ. Whenever you separate, hate, fear, deny, uh, enclose yourself in a little self-pitying corner, you're, you're actually backtracking on the glory of God. You're not building the mystery or, or revealing the mystery. You're, in fact, denying the mystery. I thought Jesus was the mystery that was revealed. And um, yeah, this stuff is crazy. It's this, I mean, absolutely frightening. Uh, folks, if you know anybody who's a Protestant who is uh, reading Richard Rohr, uh, you need to have a you need to have a chat with them because this guy, he, um, this is flat out mysticism heresy that this guy is teaching, and his claim that the Bible supports these views of his that he's uh, spewing here. The Bible does nothing of the sort. I mean, this is just absolutely uh, made up, almost in the same kind of vein as Patricia King kind of stuff, but it has a far more sophisticated veneer uh, to it than uh, the Patricia King gang. But uh, this is not taught in the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach us about the cosmic Christ. And uh, anybody who is uh, listening to Richard Rohr and thinks that he's the cat's meow um, well, he may be the cat's meow. The problem is, is that it, it sounds to me like he's the, uh, the, the lion referred to or taking the role of the agency of the lion who wants to devour us, uh, you know, as, as part of the work of Satan. This is not biblical theology at all. And, and not only that, it, this isn't even Roman Catholic theology. This is some dangerous, dangerous stuff here. Anyway, we're going to pause right there. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. Chris Roseboro here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzman's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. 
Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. Okay, we're back. Hour number two. <laughs> Again, every now and then, an episode of Fighting for the Faith just strikes me in a weird way, and this lineup has done it. If you need me, I'll be out uh, outside in my backyard in the fetal position, sucking my thumb. <laughs> All right, let's cue up the music. Let's do this. Let's cap off a weird episode with um, some Joel Osteen. From the Cosmic Christ over to Lakewood in uh, Houston, Texas. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon, and I hate even calling it that, uh, comes to us uh, from Joel Osteen's ministry name of the sermon is speaking faith into your future (laughs) oh man I, 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 I tell you what to look for but I mean if you've heard one Joel Osteen sermon you've kind of heard them all but here's the deal this isn't biblical Christianity people are not being brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus name because of this kind of preaching I mean, this is this isn't borderline heretical. This is flat out heretical. This is if you have friends who think that Joel Osteen is the coolest thing ever, and uh, that and they just can't wait to to watch the next episode of his uh, ministry's uh, you know sermons that are broadcast during the infomercial time on your local uh, you know cable network. You need to have a ha- you need to sit down and have a chat with them. This guy ain't preaching biblical truth. This is some crazy stuff. Almost as bizarre as the cosmic Christ. Anyway, I'm going to kill the music here. Again, if you still have your tinfoil pyramid hat from um, the last uh, segment from Fighting for the Faith, from the cosmic Christ section, yeah, keep it on. You'll need it. Uh, Here we go. Oh, wait, one more thing. I should warn you that I'm going to play the commercial that aired prior to the sermon itself. You got to hear this thing. Um, yeah, here we go. No matter what age you are, your imagination is a wonderful and powerful gift from God. <laughs> oh, no. He wants you to use your imagination and wants you to see your future through the eyes of faith. As a thank you for your support of our... I mean, this reminds me... I, I've played this this uh, soundbite before. This reminds me of uh, uh, Disneyland's... Uh, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, anyway, yeah, if you've ever been to Disneyland during the summer, they have the Fantasmic show. And it starts off with that, that thing, you know. 
In fact, it sounds like the lady doing the Joel Osteen commercial uh, was one of the singers there. Let's continue. Of our ministry this month, Joel and Victoria would like to send you a copy of Imagine in this new series. Joel and Victoria would like to send you a copy of Imagine. Yeah, imagine that. You'll be challenged to start imagining the dreams you have in your heart. And <laughs> I'm going to lose it. And that God is able to make those amazing dreams come true. This is your moment to imagine. A dream is a wish your heart makes when you're... God doing the impossible in your life. This is your moment to imagine like never before. I'm surprised they don't have a Joel Osteen ride at Disneyland. <sighs> this is crazy. God has amazing things in your future. You have dreams and desires on the inside of you. And I encourage you, don't let those go. God wants to... Yeah, don't let those go. You, you just got to stick with them. Even if Simon Cowell told you you can't sing, that's a dream inside of your heart. And you need to just keep on singing. So get that dream out. Bring them forth. He wants to do more than you can even ask, think, or imagine. See, but it's up to you and I. We have to hold fast to those dreams. And uh, yeah, it's up to you and I. That's law. And the way to do that is keep yourself encouraged. Keep the Word of God going on the inside of you, just like you're doing today. Stay around positive people. Keep yourself in an atmosphere of faith. And if you will continue to do that, I believe... Why do I feel like uh, their definition of faith doesn't even remotely come close to the biblical definition of faith? That you'll see things in your life come, to, come about that you never thought of before. God is going to do amazing things in your life. That's what we're believing for each one of you. And oh, I'm so glad that Joel Osteen is believing that for me and you. Yeah, wow. ...is that you'll never rise any higher than the way you see yourself. That's why it's so important that you have a vision of increase, a vision of victory for your life. You need to see yourself the way you want to be. And so I believe as you do that, you're going to see God take you even further. Than Does this sound like the uh, the epitome of the definition of uh, preaching to scratch itching ears? Than you ever even dreamed of. We love you. We're praying for you every day, believing for God's very best. And we just want to thank you so much for your prayer and support of our ministry. Your generosity is helping us to make a difference all over the world. And I know God is smiling down on you right now. Be blessed and have a great week. Yeah, you be blessed. Have a great week. Here we to go. request your copy of Imagine, visit joelosteen.com or call us at 1-888. I mean, seriously, Christianity has been reduced to imagination. Wow. 567-JOEL today. I mean, that was just the commercial leading into the sermon. Discover the sinner in you. Oh, wait, that doesn't go that way. Uh, well, God bless you. Yeah, bless you. It's always a joy to come into your homes. We love you. If you're ever in our area, I hope you'll stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, these are the finest people in all of Houston, Texas, right here at Lakewood. We'll make you feel at home. Come on out and see us sometime. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for coming out today. And I like to get started each week with something funny. And I heard about this mother. She was making breakfast for her young boys. Ryan was five and Kevin was three. They began to argue over who should get the first pancake. The mom saw this as an opportunity to teach them a lesson. 
She said, boys, boys, if Jesus were here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. Ryan turned to his younger brother and said, okay, Kevin, you be Jesus. (laughs) Hold up your Bible and say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about speaking faith into your future. Our words have creative power. What? Speaking faith into my future. What on earth are we talking about? The biblical category of faith, you know, the, you know, the Greek word, uh, you know, there's two words, the, the, the verb form and the noun form. Pistuo being the noun, uh, the verb form and pistis being the noun form. It, it's, it's, it's this like tenacious trust. And, uh, and, and trust in God for something. You know, it's, the faith always has an object. Jesus is the object of our faith. So where Christianity teaches us to have faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. What is this other stuff that this guy is talking about? I'm, I'm not familiar with any of this. Whenever we speak something out, either good or bad, we are giving life to what we're saying. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not God. I, yeah. And too many people go around saying negative things about themselves. And then it comes true, self-fulfilling prophecy. This is the word faith movement. This is the word faith heresy. About their family, about their future. Things like, I'll never be successful. This sickness is going to get the best of me. Business is so slow, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'll never be skinny. Flu season is coming. I'll probably get it. They don't realize they are prophesying their future. The scripture says... Really, the Bible says that when people say negative words, they're prophesying the future. I don't think so. We will eat the fruit of our words. Yeah, you got a, you got a uh, reference for that in context? We will eat the fruit of our words? Yeah, I'd like to see that one. That means we're going to get exactly what we've been saying. Here's the key. You've got to send your words out in the direction you want your life to go. You cannot talk defeat and expect to have victory. You can't talk lack and expect to have abundance. You will produce what you've been saying. If you want to know what... Man, by the way, um, the... the, uh, the Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking this up here. You will eat the fruit of your labor, uh, Psalm 128. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. Uh, that's not the same, though, as eat the fruit of their words. I, I'm still hunting down this this uh, mysterious, out-of-context Bible reference here uh, that Joel has given us. What you're going to be like five years from now? Just listen to what you're saying about yourself. With our words, we can either bless our future or we can curse our future. That's why we should never say, I'm not a good parent. I'm unattractive. I'm clumsy. I can't do anything right. I'll probably get laid off. No, those thoughts may come to your mind, but don't make the mistake of verbalizing them. The moment you speak it out, you allow them to take root. There have been plenty of times where I've thought something negative, and I'm just about to say it, but I'll catch myself and think, no, I'm going to zip it up. 
I'm not going to speak defeat into my future. I'm not going to speak failure over my life. I'm going to turn it around and speak favor into my future. I'm going to declare I'm blessed. Yeah, as if you're God, somehow you have the power of the word of God. You know, you speak it, it comes true. How is this any different than the secret? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Oprah Winfrey's big thing there. I'm strong. I'm healthy. This is going to be a great year. When you do that, you are blessing your future. I remember when our architects told us that it was going to cost $100 million to renovate this place, the former compact center. After I got up off the ground, I thought, that's impossible. I could never raise that much money. There's no way that's going to happen. The thoughts were there, but I knew better than to verbalize them. My attitude was, if I'm going to prophesy my future, I'm going to prophesy something good. I'm not going to say what I feel. I'm not going to say what it looks like in the natural. No, I'm going to say what God says about me. My declaration was, God is supplying all of our needs. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. This may seem impossible, but I know God can do the impossible. Where God gives vision, he always provides provision. I made sure to have a report of victory. Proverbs. Yeah, don't make a mistake of saying anything negative because then, boom, you've just prophesied your negative future. Right. There's no Bible passage that says this. Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death are in the power of our tongue. What are you saying about your future? What are you saying about your family? What are you saying about your finances? Make sure the words you are sending out are in the direction you want your life to go. If you're a baseball fan, you probably know who Jose Lima is. During the 1990s, he was a star pitcher for the Houston Astros. One season, he won 20 games, was considered one of the best pitchers in the league. But something interesting happened. When the Astros moved from the Astrodome to their new ballpark downtown, the fence in left field was much closer than the fence in the Astrodome. And of course, this favors the hitters, makes it more difficult on the pitchers. The first time Jose Lima went to the new ballpark, he stood on the mound. When he looked out into left field and saw how close the fence was, the first words out of his mouth were, I'll never be able to pitch in here. The fence is way too close. Do you know he went from being a 20-game winner to being a 16-game loser? It was one of the biggest negative turnarounds in Astros history. And all because he said the wrong words. Hmm. What happened? He prophesied his future. Those negative thoughts came, and instead of ignoring them, he made the mistake of speaking them out. When you speak it out, you're giving life to your faith. Okay, now, by the way, it is Proverbs 18.21. Let's read it in context. Okay, now keep in mind, the Proverbs make it clear that uh, what we're hearing in the Proverbs, what we're reading in the Proverbs, is it, it falls into the category of third use of the law. This is really applicable only for Christians, and here's the reason why. Because... The the uh, the beginning uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and and we're not talking about ah I'm scared of God that's not what we're talking about it's talking about having fear uh, like in awe of God and that comes through repentance and faith in Christ through the preaching of law and gospel through the hearing of God's word through the hearing of the gospel the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ and then what happens is through that preaching of the word 
God regenerates us, raises us from the dead, and uh, and and we have faith and trust in Christ, and we have a new, we're a new creation in Christ that that. Uh, that really desires to do good works. Now, our flesh wars against that uh, that new creation in Christ. However, the Proverbs give us an outline of what it is that we're, you know, what it is a good work is. So, when you read the Proverbs, you have to keep that always in the for in the forefront. This is really wisdom only for Christians. A non Christian who tries to apply these things is going to end up condemning themselves because uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we're talking about saving faith. So, Proverbs eighteen eighteen. Let's uh, let's just kind of you know put a little bit of context around this because each of these proverbs kind of stands alone. But here's what it says: the lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. And, you know the idea here, flipping coins. Some that actually might be a wise idea. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from God. The poor use entreaties, and the rich answer strongly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, you'll notice that uh, uh, Proverbs eighteen twenty and 21 talk about uh, the fruit of a man's lips or his mouth. and you know it, it's It's through words that there's power and death and things like that. Now, is this saying that you can prophesy your future? The the answer is no. Actually, these texts do not, they are not understood that way. And a good commentary from a good biblical scholar will help you along these lines. The church has never understood these passages to to mean that you can prophesy your future and that if you say positive words that you're speaking a posi- you're prophetically speaking a positive future for yourself and if you speak negative words you're speaking a negative future for yourself that's actually reading into the text the idea here is is that our words are are powerful in the sense that there's consequences to them uh for instance um you can speak poorly of your neighbor, and there's consequences to speaking poorly of your neighbor. Things of that nature. But let me let me uh, let me just find a real simple commentary on this, and I think it'll help. Um, from the NIV commentary, just a basic uh, evangelical commentary. Um, verse twenty it says, "Productive speech is satisfying." In Proverbs, words can bring either good or evil. Fruit and harvest have have good connotations, and so constructive and beneficial speech is in view here. Such speech has the power to make people happy. Verse twenty one: the consequences of speech. What people say can lead to life or death. This proverb affirms this point and then explains it. Those who love it will eat its fruit. The referent is uh, of the it must be the tongue. What the tongue says, so those who enjoy talking must bear its fruit, whether good or bad. We should be warned by this proverb, especially if we love to talk. So this is really kind of talking about wholesome speech or speech that tears somebody else down or gossip. Um, And then you would cross-reference this with, you know, like passages from the book of James then, where the book of James talks about, how the tongue is is wicked and is a fire and a consuming fire. And so the idea there is is that when you have a passage where it's not sure what it means, you have to interpret it in, in light of clear passages. So what happened is it what's happened is is that Joel Osteen, who is a firm believer in the word faith heresy, he is a heretic, has taken these passages and twisted them 
to say that you have the power to create through your words using positive affirmations and positive words a positive future for yourself. You have to speak positively and declare positive things for your life. And so, but the problem is, is this, is that where's the faith then? It's really not in Jesus Christ. The object of you, of, of your faith then becomes your faith. What happens is, is that this turns your faith in on itself so that the power is in your faith. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, a faith that has faith in itself is, that's a, a circular faith. Our faith is in and trust is in Jesus Christ, not in our own faith, in our own declaration, our own proclamations. I mean, this this basically turns our words into a kind of God, if you would, and our faith as as the the the, the God from which those words come, emanate. It, it, this is this is a form of flat out self idolatry. It's what it says in Proverbs: We are snared by the words of our mouth. I remember growing up, there was a gentleman that used to work for our church. He owned his own company, and he and his men would come over and take care of the grounds, and make repairs. He was a very nice man, kind and friendly, but he always had a negative report. Every time I talked to him, he told me how hard life was and how business was slow and how some of his equipment wasn't working. He was having problems at home, and one of his children was acting up, on and on. I saw him twice a week for probably 10 years. I cannot remember one time that he did not have a negative report. And I'm not making light of his situation. The point is, he was prophesying defeat. He was cursing his future. That's not what the Bible says at all. This is absolutely a false teaching. He didn't realize he was being snared by the words of his mouth. And what's interesting, when he was about 55 years old, he got very sick. He spent the next two or three years in and out of hospitals. He ended up dying a very sad, lonely death. I couldn't help but think about that's exactly what he had talked about his whole life, how he wasn't going to make it and how hard life was. He got what he was calling in. You may be in a difficult time right now, but let me challenge you. Don't use your words to describe the situation. Use your words to change the situation. Declare victory. Declare health. Declare favor. Declare abundance. You are giving life to your faith by what you're saying. You are giving life to your faith. What is that? I mean, seriously? This this is a faith in your own faith. This isn't biblical Christianity. This isn't biblical faith. All through the day, we should go around saying, I have the favor of God. I can do all things through Christ. I'm blessed. I'm strong. I'm Why would I have the favor of God? Would it have anything to do with Jesus' death on the cross for our sins? I'm healthy. When you do that, you just blessed your life. You just spoke favor into your future. If you get up in the morning feeling the blahs, don't ever say... So God's up in heaven waiting for you to speak positive words about your future. And when you do that, then you, then God will bless you because you've blessed yourself. Right. This is going to be a lousy day. I don't want to go to work. I'm tired of dealing with these children. No, get up and say, this is going to be a great day. I'm excited about my future. Something good is going to happen to me. 
You've got to send your words out in the direction you want your life to go. Maybe you've been through a disappointment. A relationship didn't work out. You didn't get the promotion you were hoping for. But instead of complaining, saying, well, I should have known it. I never get any good breaks, just my luck. No, your declaration should be, I know when one door closes, God's going to open up another door. What was meant for my harm, God's going to use to my advantage. I'm not only going to come out, I'm going to come out better off than I was before. Have a report of victory. Here's what I've learned. You believe what you say about yourself more than what anybody else says. That's why on a regular basis, we should say, I'm blessed. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm valuable. I'm Where's Jesus Christ? I mean, why, am, why should I think I'm blessed? I'm a sinner. I'm talented. I have a bright future. Those words go out of your mouth and come right back into your own ears. Over time, they will create the same image on the inside. I was reading about this doctor in Europe. He had these patients that were very sick. And they had been treated by traditional means, but they had not gotten any better. And so he gave them a very unusual prescription. He had them say three or four times an hour, I'm getting better and better every day in every way. Seriously, the self-help affirmation. Every way, every day and in every way, I'm feeling better and better. Isn't that what uh, Chief Inspector Dreyfus said in the Clouseau movies? Over the next few months, he had remarkable results. Many of those patients that had not improved with traditional medications, all of a sudden, so this isn't the they begin to... This isn't the power of Christ. This is just the power of positive thinking. Ah, oh, brother. ...to get better and better. What happened? As they heard themselves saying over and over, I'm getting better, I'm improving, my health is coming back, those words begin to create a new image on the inside. Before long, they started seeing themselves strong, healthy, and whole. How is this different than the mind science cults? You know, I think of Christian science. Once you get a picture of it on the inside, then God can bring it to pass on the outside. Some of you would see your life go to a whole new level if you just zip up the negative words and start speaking faith and victory into your future. I know people that are always tired and run down. You know what they're constantly saying? I'm so tired. I just don't have any energy. They've talked about it so long, it's become a reality. Do you know the more we talk about something, the more we draw it in? Just like you're feeding it. If you get up in the morning and just talk about how you feel, how you're tired and how you're not going to make it, you're defeating yourself. You're digging your own hole. No, don't talk about the problem. Talk about the solution. In fact, the scripture says, let the weak say I am strong. Notice it doesn't say let the weak talk about their weakness. Let the weak call five friends and discuss their weakness. Let the weak complain about their weakness. No, it says in effect. Yeah, all these verses taken out of context. Unbelievable. Let the weak say exactly opposite of how they feel. Would it have anything to do with the Lord? I think you kind of leave certain details out. In other words, don't talk about the way you are. Talk about the way you want to be. If you get up in the morning feeling tired and lethargic, 
instead of complaining more than ever, you need to declare, I am strong in the Lord. I am full of energy. My strength is being renewed. This is going to be a great day. When you do that, it'll not only change how you feel, it'll change your attitude. You won't go out with a weak, defeated, victim mentality. You'll go out with a victor mentality, with a spring in your step, a smile on your face, with your shoulders back. Those words can literally help lift your spirit and cause you to see yourself and your circumstances in a whole new light. But the reason many people have low self-esteem and Low self-esteem, that's our big problem, yeah. It's not sin, it's low self-esteem, yeah. By the way, uh, let the weak say I am strong. That comes from the uh, from the, the minor prophet Joel, chapter 3. Uh, in fact, let me read um, <clears throat> some of this so that you can kind of see what's going on here. Joel, chapter 3, starting at verse 4. What are you to say to me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia? Are you... Paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold, and you have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Makes me wonder if you know if the folks of Tyre and Sidon realize that all they have to do here, you know, apparently God is calling down a curse upon them. All I have to do is say, Nope, I am strong. I, my future is bright. God, I I will not be sold into slavery. I will do... Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Anyway, we continue. Verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there Bring down your warriors, O Lord, and let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in the tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earthquake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord the valley of the, and water from the valley of Shittim. Now, I'm going to point this out here. Just, it's kind of the obvious, but uh, when you read Joel chapter 3 in context, and this is the passage, in this passage we got the, let the weak say, I am strong. Um, well, it's this is talking about, prophetically about uh, God calling up men of war you know to exact justice and justice and judgment 
on uh, the enemies of Israel. This isn't saying that you, you know, let the weak say I am strong so that, you know, this is an affirmation that you affirm of yourself and it'll prophesy over your future, let alone your self-esteem. We continue. A poor self-image is because they're constantly saying negative things about themselves. I'm unattractive. I'm overweight. I'm slow. I'm not talented. I'll never get promoted. They've heard that so much, now it's ingrained on the inside. Now notice here, Joel is consistent with his theology. This is your best life now. And those who want their best life now, well, I don't know if they're actually going to go to uh, you know, to heaven and eternal life with Jesus Christ. They've apparently gotten their own reward. And it's setting the limits for their life. I had a gentleman tell me after service last week, Joel, I'm a terrible father. I've made a lot of mistakes. I always knew I wouldn't be a good parent. I told him what I'm telling you. Quit saying you're not a good father. Quit speaking defeat over your life. As long as you're saying it, you're allowing it to happen. I said, you may not be a good father right now, but you need to start declaring and calling yourself a good father. As you make these positive declarations, it'll over time begin to change the image on the inside and you'll become exactly what you're declaring. But as long as you've convinced yourself that you're not a good parent, you made too many mistakes and you're too old or you're too young or you're too washed up, that's going to keep you from rising any higher. One of the best things I could ever teach you. Apparently you are God in his own theology. You ...is don't be against yourself. In life, we already have enough things against us. People, circumstances, negative thoughts, criticism. The last thing you need is for you to be against yourself. Oh, can you imagine the bane there? Oh, no, don't be against yourself. I know people, they're always putting themselves down, beating themselves up, finding fault with everything that they do. And they wonder why they don't have any joy, why they don't have any victory. It's because they're against themselves. Let me challenge you. Don't ever say another negative word about yourself. You may feel like you're the worst parent in the world. Doesn't matter. Don't say, I'm not a good parent. Put a watch over your mouth. Don't ever say, I'll never lose this weight. I'll never get out of debt. I'll never be successful. Joel. Yeah, because then you're prophesying and it'll happen, you know. Well, I don't have what it takes. No, zip that up. And instead of talking about the way you are, start talking about the way you want to be. That's what faith is all about. And understand. No, faith is all about trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It is just as wrong to criticize yourself as it is to criticize someone else. When you criticize yourself, you are criticizing God's very own creation. You might as well look up and say, God, you didn't do a very good job with me. No, you may have areas. Is that a forgivable sin or is that the unforgivable sin? I'm just curious. To improve in. We all do, of course. But the way we do it is not by being hard on ourselves and saying, I'm a terrible parent. I can't do anything right. I'm just a loser. No, if you talk like that, it's going to make you do worse. You need to change what you're saying about yourself. Now, I wonder what would happen if we would take five minutes a day and make positive declarations over our life.
Well, then your God would be the thing that you see in the mirror. Before you leave the house, look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm talented. I'm creative. I'm healthy. I've got a good personality. People like to be around. Can you give me a single example of Jesus talking like this? Like one would be fine. On me. Some of you women have never once said, I'm beautiful. You men have never said, I'm handsome. I'm attractive. You're too busy focused on your faults, comparing yourself to a coworker, feeling inferior because you don't look like the girl on the cover of the magazine that's been airbrushed and touched up and skinnied up and trimmed up. She's got 27 people working on her, styling her hair, doing her makeup, bringing her different clothes, the perfect lighting, the perfect angles, wind blowing through her hair. I mean, even my brother Paul might look good if he had that much help. Here's what I'm saying. Just as you are, you are beautiful. You are one of a kind. You are a masterpiece. Mm, no need for repentance and the forgiveness of your sins. You're just beautiful the way you are. Hmm. You are a prized possession. When you wake up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror, instead of getting depressed, instead of saying, oh, man, look how old I look. Look at this gray hair. Look at these wrinkles. No, you need to smile and say, good morning, you beautiful thing. Good morning, you handsome thing. Boy, this is a formula for narcissism if I've ever heard it. Good morning, you blessed. I mean, isn't this like the, the classic definition of narcissism for real? Prosperous, successful, strong, talented, creative, confident, secure, disciplined, focused, highly favored child of the Most High God. Really, what makes us favored in God's sight? Does it have anything to do with the shed blood of Christ? Get it on the inside. Speak faith over your future. I talked to a gentleman a couple years ago after the service. He had lost 150 pounds. He looked fantastic, like a different person. He was beaming with joy. I asked him how he did it. He explained how growing up, he had a very defeated mindset. For years, he had gone around saying, I'll never lose this weight. Everybody in my family is overweight. I'm not disciplined. I'm not focused. I just don't have what it takes. Those negative words had created the wrong image on the inside. He, it was the negative words that did it. Hmm, yeah. He saw himself as a failure. One day, he heard me talking about speaking victory over your life, and he took it to heart. Every morning and all through the day, he started declaring, I weigh what I should weigh. I'm thin, I'm healthy, I'm... I think Joel Osteen should start his own version of The Biggest Loser. Rather than a bunch of people on treadmills, he can have a whole bunch of people sitting in front of a mirror saying, I am skinny, I look great. And see, I'd like to see the weight loss that they experience, you know, week after week after doing that. Disciplined, I'm focused, I have what it takes. At the time he was saying it, not one thing he was saying was true. But he understood this principle. He was prophesying his future. He was sending his words out in the direction he wanted his life to go. And no, it didn't happen overnight, but little by little, he became exactly what he had been saying. My question for us today is, are you sending your words in the direction you want your life to go? Are you speaking defeat or victory into your future? Your life is moving toward what you're constantly saying. 
There's a story in the scripture about this lady. She had been sick for many years and she'd spent all of her money going to different doctors trying to get better. Didn't help. She continued to get worse. One day, the scripture says she heard that Jesus was coming through her town. The scripture says she kept saying to herself, what was she saying? I'll never get well. I can't believe this is happening to me. No, she kept saying, when I get to Jesus, I know I will be made whole. Notice- um, yeah, we got a problem here. Uh, the way he's telling the story isn't the way the text reads. If you have your Bible, flip on over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. I'll start at verse 21. Let's read this in context. Jesus had just crossed again in the boat to the other side. A great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. Now I'm going to point something out here. Why is she sneaking up on Jesus? This is important. Um, the reason she's sneaking up on Jesus is because according to the Levitical law, according to the Mosaic law, this woman is ceremonially unclean. If she were to touch Jesus, she would make Jesus unclean. Why is she unclean? Because she has a discharge of blood. And uh, Jarius, the synagogue ruler, it is more, more than likely that he he knew who she was and knew her condition. As a synagogue ruler, this is one of the things that he's kind of he needs to be in the know about. And so this is a woman who for 12 years the law has condemned her as unclean and she trusts in Jesus and that's the reason why she sneaks up on him is because she doesn't want to make Jesus unclean because everybody would know, "Oh, oh no, no, don't touch her. She's unclean." That would be the reaction. Anyway, so um Okay, back to the story. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched me? Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, well, you see the crowd pressing in around you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing What had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, I want to point something out. Faith always has an object. So you can literally say, Daughter, your Jesus has made you well. Because who was this woman trusting in? Not her affirmations, not her words, not her self-esteem, not anything like that. She was trusting in Jesus Christ. And she said, and it says in the passage, she said to herself, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. It's not, she wasn't declaring that early in the text. The way Joel is telling the story, he's completely not telling the truth about what happened in this text. She wasn't talking defeat. She was talking victory. Right in the middle of the difficulty, she was prophesying something good. Over and over, day after day, she just kept saying, healing is coming my way. She did not say that. 
brighter days are up ahead. She wasn't saying that. The text doesn't say that at all. When Jesus got to town, she started making her way toward him. As she kept speaking these words of faith, she got closer and closer. Yeah, but remember, she snuck up on him. That should tell you something. Joel's not telling you the truth about the story. Finally, she could see Jesus, but it was very crowded. The people were packed all around him. Looked like it would be impossible. But instead of complaining, she just kept speaking these words of faith. This is my time. Boy, is he really mangling this text. This is my moment. Things are changing in my favor. You know the story. She pressed through the crowd. When she touched the edge of Jesus' robe, instantly, the scripture says, she was made whole. But notice the principle. Whatever you're constantly saying, you are moving toward. That The text doesn't teach that principle at all, Joel. Joel, you're lying. If you're always saying, I'll never get out of debt. This economy's too bad. You're moving toward debt, lack, and struggle. If you're saying, my marriage isn't going to last, we just don't get along, you're moving toward a breakup, separation. If you're saying, this sickness is going to be the end of me, I don't think I'm going to make it, you're moving toward mediocrity and defeat. But if you'll just send your words out in a different direction, your life will start going in a different direction. When you say, I mean, what is the difference between this and Mary Baker Eddy's Christian Science? I mean, this is this is mind science cult stuff here. Hey, I'm blessed. You're moving toward blessing. When you say I have the favor of God, you're moving toward increase in promotion. I mean, it makes you wonder what does uh, somebody who attended Lakewood, who ends up in hell, say while they're in hell? Are they sitting in the corner of hell, going, "I'm not here. I'm not here. I, 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 I declare that I'm in heaven. That I'm, I'm really not burning here in hell." Uh, yeah. When you say this is going to be a great day, I'm excited about my future. You're moving towards supernatural opportunities, divine connections, explosive blessings. How about this? When you say, I'm going to break this addiction. I am not going to live bound by this alcohol, by these drugs, by this anger, by these bad habits. When you talk like that, you're moving toward freedom. You're moving toward breakthroughs. You're moving toward total victory. Yeah, victory without Jesus, apparently. Pay attention to what you're saying about yourself. Your life is moving in that direction. That's why I encourage us to get up every day and say, this is going to be an Ephesians 3.20 decade. God is doing exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. You talk like that and you're moving toward unprecedented favor. You are paving the way for God to take your places that you've never even dreamed of. Friends, there's incredible power in what we're saying. With Power isn't in the blood of Christ, it's power in your words. With our words, we are sealing our destiny. I talk. There's power, power, wonder-working power in your words. In your words, not in Jesus' blood or anything like that. I talked to a well-known actor the other day. He's an older gentleman. He was very down on himself, down on his future. He said, Joel, I'm just a has-been. Nobody's interested in me anymore. I never get offered any good roles. I've peaked and it's all downhill from here. I said, sir, don't speak that defeat over your life. God has greater victories in your future. The scripture says the favor of God is for a lifetime. 
That means if you're still breathing... It makes me wonder, was he talking to Charlie Sheen? Yeah. ...you have God's favor. It says in Proverbs, the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter. Your future is supposed to get better and better. This man was in his late 80s, but I reminded him, look at Betty White. She's doing pretty good. I knew Art... Well, no, I guess it's not Charlie Sheen. He's only in his early 70s, right? <laughs> Link letter. At 98 years old, he still traveled the globe and spoke hundreds of times each year. Quit saying, I'm washed up. I'm just a has-been. I've seen my best days. No, your declaration should be, my greatest victories are still in my future. My greatest accomplishments are still out in front of me. I am the righteous. When I'm 80, if I make it there, I'm kind of hoping to retire. You know what I'm saying? So I know my path is getting brighter and brighter. I know God's favor is not just for a season. He promised it's for a lifetime. So I'm expecting something good. You got to get in agreement with God. He has an awesome plan for your life. This is all law. Everything you have to do. Does, does Jesus do anything for us at all? Just wondering, you know. The victories God has in your future are going to make the ones you've seen in the past pale in comparison. But here's the key. With our words, we can stop God's best plan from coming to pass. If we go around talking lack, defeat, how we don't have what it takes, we're too old, we're too young, those negative words will keep us from rising higher and really experiencing the fullness of what God... Boy, those are powerful words. I mean, wow has in store. This is what happened to a young man in the scripture. His name was Jeremiah. God said to him, Jeremiah, I have chosen you to be a prophet to the nations. I've called you to do something great. When Jeremiah heard this, he was very young, very afraid. He said, God, I can't do that. I can't speak to the nations. I'm too young. I wouldn't even know what to say. God answered him back and said, Jeremiah, Say not that you are too young. Notice God immediately stopped his negative words. Why was that? God... Yeah, please tell us. I can't wait to hear it. ...knew if Jeremiah went around saying, I'm too young, I don't have what it takes, I'll never be able to do this, he would get exactly what he was saying. God knew those words have created power and it would stop him from his best plan. So he simply said, Jeremiah... Stop saying that. The scripture goes... Yeah, the passage doesn't say that about Jeremiah. I mean, you're kind of inserting a whole bunch of your word faith heresy into the biblical text. A little odd, don't you think? Goes on to tell how Jeremiah changed what he was saying. He went on to become a great prophet to the nations. In the same way, God has called every one of us to do something great. He's given you gifts, dreams, goals. He's put desires on the inside. But it's easy to do like Jeremiah and say, God, I can't do that. Too old, too young, made too many mistakes, come from the wrong family. I don't have what it takes. God is saying to us what he said to Jeremiah. Stop saying that. Don't curse your future. Those God didn't say to Jeremiah, don't curse your future. You will not find those words in the text of Jeremiah anywhere. Negative words can stop God's best plan. Our declaration should be, I will become everything God's created me to be. I am well able to fulfill my destiny. Friends, you are prophesying your future.
Pay attention to what you're saying about yourself. Learn to bless your future and not curse it. Remember, we are moving toward what we're constantly saying. Get up every morning and say, this is going to be a great day. Blessings are chasing me down. The favor of God is surrounding me. Goodness and mercy are following me. Opportunities are coming my way. I'm excited about this day. When you do that, you're calling in favor, calling in increase, calling in promotion. Some of you have spent years calling in defeat, calling in lack, calling in bad breaks. Thank God today is a new day. If you will change your words, you can change your world. Let me challenge you. Put a watch over your mouth. When the negative thoughts come, and they do come to all of us, and you're tempted to speak them out, just catch yourself and say, no, I'm not going to give life to this defeat by speaking it out. If you will train yourself to only speak victory. Train yourself. You, you, you. Where's Jesus? Jesus hasn't done anything for you, apparently. To only bless your future, then you will see God show up and do amazing things. He will open doors that no man can shut. He'll turn negative situations around. You'll accomplish your goals and dreams. And I believe and declare you will become everything God's created you to be. And you will have everything God's intended for you to have. Amen. Do you receive it today? We never like to close our broadcast without giving. Okay, done, done, done. I mean, Christless, banal, absolute superstition, false doctrine. This is... It is, it, it, after hearing this, is anybody like not convinced that uh, Joel Osteen is a word faith heretic? Heretic, that's what he is. Unbelievable. And yet he's got the so-called largest, quote, church in the United States. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Tinfoil pyramid hat indeed. All right, just a reminder, fighting for the faith. This is listener-supported radio. We truly depend upon you and your generous gifts to keep doing what we're doing. And if you would uh, could potentially support us uh, during the lean summer months, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, our bills don't go away, but uh, you know, during the summer months, things get a little bit lean uh, financially for us. So if you don't already support us, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Uh, you know all the, all the details. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. So what'd you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd uh, love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, not tomorrow, Monday, I've lost my brain. See, I got Dame Bramish. Until Monday, may God richly bless you in their grace and mercy, won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.